Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Stop Being the Worst On Call. I am Paul Franz, owner of Franz Games. I've been SW Online, Bedcom Online, and Starfleet Warlord. Just a reminder how to join us for a podcast every Thursday night starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can either call on the phone style 605-562-0444. Just follow the directions. The call ID is 17702. Or you can participate on the web. Just go to the TalkShoe website at www.talkshoe.com. Search for call ID 17702. Or if you want the best online experience, you can go to twitch.tv. Yes, twitch.tv slash SFU on call, and you'll be able to join us there and join the chat room and have a blast with the rest of the the crew. <laughs> sometimes there's many of us, sometimes there's few, but there's always me. <laughs> and of course, if you need to contact me for any reason, my email address is SFU on call at gmail.com. That's S-F-U-O-N-C-A-L-L at gmail.com. Also, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter slash x slash whatever it's called this week account is sfu on call also have a personal account called paul franz p-a-o-f-r-n-z there's no t in that and also franz games f-r-a-n-z-g-m-e-s again there is no t in that and of course this lovely talk cast gets turned to podcasts available on itunes and various other feeds around the net um so quick news from adb um steve Petrick has just been busy keeping, you know, working on the Orion Master Starship book. Also, the, this week, and found on the online store, is the Starfleet Battle Force Lyrian and Hydrant Playtest Pack. It's only a dollar, and that's because it only contains three Lyrians and three Hydrant cards. Those cards actually looked really nice. I looked at the on the website, and they look really nice. So if you want to get them, you can get them for just a dollar. Obviously, actually, shipping could be a few pennies because they're cards. It's really, I'm sure they actually could probably mail them in an envelope and get you to there, possibly less than a dollar. Don't know. <laughs> it might cost you more for shipping than it would actually <laughs> to buy the cards. Don't know. But, you know, obviously, uh, as the ADB was pointing out, um, that shipping is going up. So... You know, it is what it is. Um, moving onward and forward to the SOP Online tournament, that is the RFR 16 tournament. We have now 15 signups. We need just one more person, one more person to join our happy crew. And we, and the game, sorry, and the tournament will be started. So please join us. So you can get that last available spot. And when it comes to online client stuff, actually, I did I did actually work on it just a little bit this week. Um, and that is, I fixed the issue in the Federation Commander part of it, which is not able to launch drones from the Federation ship. I am shocked. I am, really am shocked that this has gone on that long. It should not have gone on 
I'm not sure how long it's been broken. It's been broken, obviously, for, for a bit of time, and no one's mentioned it, which always gets me concerned that there aren't that many people playing Federation Commander. And, which is understandable, because I think most people like Starfleet Battles, especially, uh, I'm not sure if you know, noticed or not, but on uh, Facebook, there's been quite a few people who actually have been getting back into Starfleet Battles who haven't played it for years. Maybe they're finally retiring, and it's like, oh, hey, you know, I, I love, love playing Starfleet Battles, but now I have time to play. Because, as everyone knows, Starfleet Battles can take quite a bit of time to play, and that's the whole idea of Federation Commanders, to take less time. And it's simple and simplified. You know, it, it's more modern in the the way Federation, you know, our rules are designed to be, which is you actually make... Use you don't all the rules aren't explicitly written out, and onward and forward <laughs> to more things. On the library report, I'm sorry, there's been no updates for either the SFB or FedCom libraries. So that is the news for this week. Then it's me, yes, the one on Paul Friends, welcoming you. That's you. The Starfleet Universe on call. And tonight, we have Gary. Say hi, Gary. Hi, Gary. We have... Looks like Barry just showed up. Say hi, Barry. Hey there. How you doing? And last... Okay, how are you doing? Good. And last and certainly not least, we have Doug. Say hi, Doug. Hi, Doug. What's up? Hey, Doug. Hey, <laughs> Doug. Who else is on, is on here? Doug, you, me? Barry. Anybody else? I'm here also. Barry. Who's that? Who's I? Gary. Gary. Oh, Gary. Hey, Gary. Hello. Happy New Year. Yes, I guess it is. Yes. Because, uh, yeah, Barry, you're, you're rarely on these days. Yeah. I know. Well, uh, it was early for me, so I was able to make it. Because I've been waking up at 3 a.m. Oi. But I'm in California, so. Oh, wow. That means it's, so it's only 6. Yeah, only 6.30 your time. It's only 6.30 at night, so. Yeah. Double checking, make sure my microphone yeah. is not muted. What's that? I just want to make sure my microphone wasn't muted. Cause can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I just want to make sure I get everyone what? can hear me. <laughs> what? Yeah, I can hear you. Don't do that, dog. Uh, yeah, this 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 trip has been a great experiment to see how my Tesla fared for long-term in, in the long-term parking lot of the airport unplugged. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it seems to be losing about a half a percent battery per day, which is okay. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming you don't have, like, Apparently, the... um, I don't know if it's uh, Toyota or N- N- Nissan, but um, one of the big... Um, Japanese car companies, they were reported that they're working on um, 
a new generation of solid-state batteries. And uh, supposedly, if they can get it cracked within the next few years, it would um, double the storage space of the equivalent lithium-ion, and also it would have like fewer issues, uh, in theory, anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, hopefully it'll work out. But of course, they have to actually see if it works out or not. But it's interesting to see if that does happen and if they license it to other companies, uh, how much of a game changer it might be for uh, electric yeah. cars going forward. Yeah, well, that, that, I think that's a critical right. thing when it Although comes I, to I, electric vehicles, which yeah. is batteries and improving um, the power to rate, weight ratio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they, 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 that seems to be improving by about 10% cumulative per year which adds up pretty quick yep agreed agreed actually I was watching and that's just that's 10% uh, capacity per kilogram and 10% dollars per capacity hmm. that's always good too because so bringing down the cost is kind of important too you know yeah. What, what's happening is it's not that they're increasing the amount of batteries, increasing the range, but rather you're getting a cheaper battery and a cheaper vehicle. So it's driving the cost of the, the vehicles down. Right. Which is normal when it comes to technology. Usually you can reduce the cost of things um, as time goes on because you come up with better methods for creating those things. A good, great example of that yeah. is TVs. You know, and how oh, yeah. quickly, you know, they, they've gone um, lower and lower in cost because of they've come up with better and better manuf- ways of manufacturing, like the LCD displays that are, are cheaper and cheaper for the same amount of output, you know, because th- there's a certain amount of reject rate that you get and ideas you can reduce the reject rate, then you have, uh, and then it becomes overall cheaper. Right. Because you're right. able to use the same amount of material and get more, more um, output. Usable. Output. Yeah. Now, surprisingly, um, one of the things I'm, I'm kind of surprised at is there's a massive, like 15 inch display in my V my Tesla. And it's super bright and super sharp. I mean, the, the resolution is unbelievable. And yet that display can handle sub-zero temperatures. Well, I hope so. Just because, just because it of... It has to. No, exactly. This is, and hopefully, you know, above 100 degrees, you know, up in the, you know, 150 degrees, maybe greater than that, be able to handle that. Now... Operating, well, that's a different story. They, they do have, <laughs> yeah, operating is a different story. But the Tesla has a mode that you can put it in for cabin overheat protection, where it won't, you'd say, okay, I don't want to let the cabin get above a certain temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that temperature, it kicks in the air conditioning. And typically, you'll set it to like 110 degrees or something like that. But you don't want to. Uh, obviously, you don't want to have that turned on if you have it long, long-term parking, because boy, that would suck the battery down. Oh yeah, so it's like, um, if I recall correctly, um, Tesla also has a kind of what was it? What's it call it? Uh, basically, it's like a guard mode, 
kind of thing. Where it uses the uses the century mode, yeah. Century mode, yes. Um, where you know and that also will drain the bat battery pretty quickly, from my understanding. Um, yes, it does. It 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 sucks about two to three percent of the battery per day. Right. Yeah, I, I heard about that. Which, if I were, yeah, which means that if I'm leaving the car for two weeks, uh, in a long-term parking lot. It might be okay, but three weeks would be, uh, oops. Yeah. I'm in trouble. Yep. Agreed. That definitely, that brings up a, a question for me, which is that are there any like emergency charge packs that can be brought to, to dead, dead um, EVs? You know, it might take a bit of time. To charge it from the from the emergency pack, but at least you wouldn't be dead, you know, dead and have to get a, a towed. You know, right? Well, uh, I think the vehicle, if it gets below twenty percent battery, and you never want to get a let it get below twenty percent, mm -hmm. but I think if it gets below twenty percent, it basically says, "Okay, I'm shutting everything down until the owner gets back." Right. tries to drive it somewhere so at least you're you, you're, you're left with some battery mm -hmm. understood but uh yeah if you if you plan things ahead you, you probably won't get into any trouble so like i've my car got parked on sunday at the airport and i checked earlier tonight and it was still 78 percent charge so down from 80% on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. So I'm, it'll be fine when I get back to it. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's supposed to get up to like 60 degrees tomorrow. So Warmer. Uh, I, nice. So mm -hmm. all this, is the snow still there? Or? It's disappearing quickly because it's, it's been raining. So it's, the rain's been washing it away. And it's, obviously, it's been above freezing. So. Yeah, it depends on where you yeah. go. I mean, it's like we have a little bit out. We have some snow in the backyard and the front yard, but going for the long drive, you go out, and it's like mostly gone everywhere in Harrisburg. Yeah, at least where I was driving. Yeah, I got out to I got out to California. It was cold and rainy, which was weird. <laughs> California. I mean, winter. flooding. Oh. It was flooding out here. It was. It was weird. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You had. Um, have I heard about it? California had two thousand-year storms in the past week. Yeah. So we had a very, very minor earthquake last night. <laughs> so much so that I'm sure the Californians go. We had a. You had an earthquake? That's, that's not an earthquake. Well, that actually was me. For me, it was like, oh, that must have been an earthquake. I mean, it was it was that minor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, great. Probably great. magnitude two or three. Yeah. It was barely, barely, barely perceptible, but I did feel the building move a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that everything stayed on the shelves and all that kind of thing. 
Oh, no, no, no. It didn't move anything on the shelf. Uh, oh. That was too minor for that. Yeah. Understood, understood. Now, getting back to the, actually, the topic for this evening. One thing I've, I've decided to do because of something I've never done before, and I think it's something that's overall, uh, it's, I don't think has ever been done. Um, well, maybe. But I know we haven't done it, which is, actually, I'm going to go through the different space monsters. I f- okay. I figure we go through one or two, um, a podcast for for a bit of time and go through okay, what they are. You know what what's the special rules about them? Maybe even talk about tactics to defeat mm-hmm. them. Obviously, in some cases, um, one of the ones that I want to go over tonight is the moray eel, um, and there actually is a whole tactics mm-hmm. portion in the monster scenario. So no, it's less less. Oh yeah. One one it what it tells you. What was that? It's kind of obvious, but you know, after you read the the, the special monster That's rules. That's what F, rule SM one or something like that. Um, the Moray Eels SM three. Um, SM one is, oh, okay. is actually we talked about last week, which was the Planet Crusher. Oh okay. Or the creature that ate. Sheboygan um, 3. In space. The creature that ate space Sheboygan. Although, Barry, I know it's uh, it's weird hearing Paul talking about uh, space monsters that don't have people flying them. <laughs> Why is that weird? Well, because, you know, a lot like, uh, like the Alanda Space Whales or the Brownstone Space Dragons, like somehow these space monsters are just doing their own thing. Like, what's up with that? <laughs> Yeah, well, they, yep. they they have some automation rules. Yep. That 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 were simple enough that they could be described in the 1970s. Agreed. Agreed on that because I'm actually getting this. Well, in fairness, uh, I don't know if you you've heard we were talking very briefly about it too. I'll, I'll start to hijack your talk a tiny bit, Paul. But um, uh, Barry, I don't know if you've actually seen um, some of the recent issues of Captain's Log and also on Shapeways. They've actually expanded the range of uh, ship types that you can get for the juggernauts. So now they have a range of ships from the frigate all the way to a battleship. And uh, so it's not quite as far as the Andromedans have gotten, but it's interesting to think about how a ship that's usually considered to be a quote-unquote monster ship has very slowly begun the process of being able to consider what it might be like as an actual empire. Right, right. Um Oh, sorry. I, I know the name of it. What, what is it again? The 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 um. Was it called? It was. Say, say the name of this ship again. Juggernaut. Uh, uh, juggernaut. Juggernaut. That's a juggernaut. Uh, for some reason, yeah. Now the original juggernaut was a beast. Do they, And I know they're making smaller ones. Do they have anything larger than the original? No. So the, the original Juggernaut is referred to as uh, Dreadnought. They've actually made uh, a couple of varieties of the Dreadnought. So Juggernaut Beta, what they did, what the ship did is it basically, the AI on board the ship, converted a couple of its admin shuttles into these gigantic seeking weapons called Shriek Missiles that do, I think, mm-hmm. like 35 points of damage when they hit you. And uh, then the Juggernaut Gamma, whenever it shows up, it actually is, a, basically what it did is that it converted its cargo base into vertical missile silos. So we can have 18 treatments up. 
and it can only launch like two or three at a time though. And uh, after that, they basically uh, added SSDs and various issues of Captain's Log for a frigate, a destroyer, a light cruiser, a heavy cruiser, and a battleship. And uh, oh yeah, basically the battleship, it's 768 BPV. And it's got like four uh, phaser, four turrets. Like if you look at the Shapewave miniature, you can bring up the 3D model. And on the side of the prow, it's actually like an X shape so that it can actually mount all four uh, phaser four turrets at once. Now, how many phaser fours per turret? Uh, well, each turret just has a single phaser four. That's because the original one had the two side phaser fours. It had, I think, two underneath the prow, and then it had two yeah. on the back. So that's six in total. Six. And then the Joker yeah. battle tip, I believe it has eight in total because it's got the two underneath, two in the back, and then the four on the sides. And then it's got like a whole ton of extra. Uh, oh, and also one other thing they did as well is because um, you might recall that the original Juggernauts uh, Alpha had rules where if you shoot at a certain facing with enough damage, it'll uh, automatically trigger the rotating shield to lock in that position for a turn. So yeah, the subsequent yeah. Juggernauts basically figured out that that was, that was a bad idea. So they have basically removed that lock. So you, can, if you as a Juggernaut player can put them whatever way you like. And what's even more interesting mm. is that um, there's a scenario in Captain's Log 41 where they show a Sartorian hive ship with its ship collecting a selection of ships in deep space fighting against a fleet of juggernauts. And oh what the Sartorians had learned by then is um, because shield crackers are no use against the electrostatic armor, uh, armor. Or against the rotating shield. Yeah. So right. what, the, what the rules in the scenario let you do is they basically say that all the Saltorian ships have replaced their shield crackers with uh, phaser ones. So uh, basically oh. it makes it not quite as bad in terms of like dealing with a, a fleet of juggernaut ships. But uh, it's interesting to think about how um, uh, that empire, so, so, call it. it's you now beginning to become more of an actual empire rather than just a one-off monster. Oh, okay. So they are turning it into an actual empire. Okay. Well, there's been no like word about a threat file. I, I think it'd be great if there was in the future. But uh, even if you see the range of the SSDs and uh, miniatures that there are so far, you can see that um, mm -hmm. um, there's a process that you can find there. So I definitely think that there's, right. um, like when you look at the Andromedans, I mean, it probably took a while for them to be fleshed out as a campaign empire. And even then, they don't work like anyone else in Alpha or Omega or the MC. Their, their own unique right. thing even now. So easily you now, can do the same the, thing with the Juggernauts where... Now for the Frigate Juggernaut, does that have any Phaser 4s at all or just... Uh... It's got a single Phaser 4 in the front. Okay. Which is still badass. Now I forget, Actually, other than the Phaser... Well, you can uh, you, it, uh, the SSDs, and uh, they let you basically um, because the frigate, all the the more recent SSDs were drawn up after the Shriek missile thing was invented. So right. most of the modern SSDs for the Juggernauts, the different classes of them, they basically let you pay a certain number of BPV, and for each amount you pay, you can replace a single admin shuttle with a Shriek missile. So uh, mm. the frigate with a Shriek missile or two is a dangerous prospect. 
Yeah, how, how much damage does it take to kill a Shriek missile, and how fast do they move? Uh, I don't have the rules in front of me, but there's, I'm pretty sure they're speed 32, and they take quite a bit of killing. Um, even if you're using, like, microphasers or any other kind of, like, non-phaser phaser, they're, they're quite difficult to yeah. shoot down. Because I think, uh, I think actually, you know, I think what it is is that they're treated as, um, I think they're treated as shuttles as well, because... Um, uh, I think even while yeah, so like, uh, I don't remember about that, but you know how, um, like, if you have like say a short range cannon versus an ADD, if you're shooting right. at an Atakian missile, the Atakian missile treats uh, the ADD treats the Atakian missile as a shuttle, but the short range right. cannon treats it as a drone. I believe that. Yeah. I don't remember. I, have to, I don't have the rule in front of me, but I believe uh, even a short range cannon treats a Shriek missile as a shuttle. So again, even for them, oh my. trying to shoot it down is a tricky. Yeah, but um, they're only one off. So you're paying that point, and you get one shriek missile for that those PPP. So you better use it wisely. Yes, yes, and and it's uh, immune to wild weasels. Uh, I don't have the. Um, I think the rules are in Captain's Log 40, 35 or thirty. No, thirty something, thirty two. Because there's one of the Captain's Logs. Right. There's a picture of Juggernaut Beta on the front. And because mm-hmm. it, it has its own separate scenarios, because it, it basically it only really fights the Federation. Um, it comes like about six months okay. a year after Juggernaut Alpha. But um, the parallel is the Seltorians who are in uh, intergalactic space. They were calling their Juggernauts after Roman numerals instead of uh, Greek ones. So they had Juggernaut Primus, Juggernaut Secundus, and so on. But the way that the story is told in Capital 41 is that it's the same progression. Because you know, the, for the Seltorians, like. When they went into Secundus, they've never seen a seeking weapon before. So they have to basically learn, okay, well, this weird missile thing is far, flying out my ship. What do I do with it? So, but, um, yeah. I'll, I'll tell, what, what other weapons, other than, other than the Phaser 4s, I forget, what other weapons did the Juggernauts have? Uh, phaser 1s and Phaser 3s, basically. And regenerative oh, um, armor, if I recall correctly. Well, yes, they do have regenerative. Yeah, basically. So uh, five of the sh- five of the facings have the armor, and then the sixth facing, even on the smaller ship or on the battleship, the number four shield facing is exposed. But you have mm-hmm. the rotating shields. I think on the the battleship, the rotating shields are like 150 points. Yeah, well, I think it's it's something about the way their drives work that they could not armor the rear. Yeah, but uh, you know, actually, I think it'd be interesting if they had bases that were like that too, because. Like you know how like certain certain empires like like uh, they have bases that are kind of self portable. This was like the operations base in the Alpha Options or like a Siberian mobile base. So maybe right. what the juggernauts have to the empire has to do is that if they want to establish a base, the base flies itself in and then locks in place. But it it always mm-hmm. has that facing exposed, so it has to use its rotating shield to defend itself. Right. That would be something that would make it different from an Andromeda base or from a, an Alpha base or Vega base, rather. Right, right. Because the Andromedans are brought in, uh, they're towed in, yeah. But uh, although one last thing to, before I continue to uh, further hijack Paul's talk is uh, <laughs> I actually think one day it'd be really interesting if, you know how like in the Magellanic Cloud, uh, the different levels of laser. You, you, they don't mm-hmm. have a capacitor. You have to use the bank boxes. 
Right. right. Imagine if there was a space monster and it had heavy lasers instead of laser force. But the monster had bank boxes too. So even as the monster player, you'd have to protect those banks so that you have the energy to fire the heavy lasers. So it's... it's yeah, right. It looks well, that would also require that the monster have... I think it would be. Yeah, that would require the monster actually have an SSD. Like like the juggernaut, that kind of thing. No, the juggernauts have SSDs. Exactly, yeah. Right, and That's also also um, yeah. dragons do too. Parallel to the juggernaut that have heavy lasers. Yeah, space dragons yeah. do too. Because uh, then you have to ask, well, does the... Uh, does the juggernaut also is the juggernaut equivalent? Do you get it multi-layer shielding? Like maybe it has um, an inner rotating shield and an outer rotating shield, um, or mm-hmm. do you do something else entirely to help distinguish it further from a juggernaut, but give it some uh, extra flavor? Because um, I think that actually be really interesting. Yeah. Because uh, heavy lasers are good, but you only ever see them on bases. So, so if you had a, a monster ship that could fire them, then you definitely um, open up some new opportunities. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right. So I guess getting back to the more eel. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I was going to just quick um, sidetrack <laughs> since we're already sidetracked, which is um, Shapeways also has space dragons, which are <laughs> they're dragons. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's that's one of those things. that's like. You can take a dragon, just hell, just add space to it, and oh, the okay, canal's a space dragon. <laughs> you know, there you oh. go. Have dedicated Ramsdon um, miniatures just yet, but they do have more eels as well. Yeah, they have a whole. From the looks of it, there's a whole collection of space monsters. Um, ba 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 Where was I? I I was looking at it while while well, originally. Looking, da, 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 da. where, where, where? No, they're here. I know they're here. I saw them. I don't see them anymore. There it is, monster, right there. They have twenty-five of them, going from like the small to large death probes. You've got your planet killers. You've got your um, tarantulas. Uh, you got star swarms, and do they have it here? I'm just wondering if they actually have, have the the eel. There it is, the moray eel. Let's give people an idea of what it looks like. Come on, and then, then I'll continue on. Okay, da 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 da. I don't know why it takes a while to bring it up in the browser. Yeah, the handy thing about what they do on Shapeways with them is that um, if you're only looking to get the miniature to basically represent the actual monster on the tabletop, and let's say, for example, if you've got the 7,000 scale Starship miniatures, then by all means get the smaller more eel or space manta or igneous or whatever and then use it but say if you want to you know play something like a call to arm starfleet and you want to have like a, a larger scale something to really kind of show off especially if you're like them um, mm-hmm. at a convention and you want people to walk past the table and say hey what the heck, what's that you know then you can scale things up a bit and then if you've got the money spare of course and you can uh, plot down the larger uh, miniature and see what people think of those 
Yeah, actually, that's one thing that if you want, in my mind, if you want to grab some somebody's attention on in a uh, convention, which is obviously have miniatures, number one. Number two, have a, sp have a space dragon or a boring eel. Something that is definitely, they'll see a starship and then they'll see that and go, what is that? You know, why do you have this here? You know, get a little more attention. But moving on and forward. Okay. Da -da -da -da. The one thing I wanted to bring up was, okay. Um, we're going to start off actually with the SMO2. Sorry, not O2. SM2. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know why I said that. Actually, I do know why. Um, that's the name of one of my the servers at, at work. <laughs> but anyhow. Um, the, the Space Amoeba, as actually was pointed out kind of a little bit last week, which is that the Space Amoeba has one of the more simplistic monster rules. Now, and um, which is that it's, you know, move speed four, that is totally random. It, as in every single time it moves, you roll a die, and okay, which direction does it head? And it heads one hex in that direction. So really simple. It's not affected by webs. Um, uh, moving will trigger mines. Da, da, da. Um, if, if the movement of the monster, okay, this was the one thing that I looked at when it comes to automating. It's like, okay, had to, had to think of this a little bit, which is if the movement of a monster would cause it to enter the atmosphere of a planet, roll for a new direction of movement and continue doing so until it, it moves into a hex that's not an atmosphere hex. If it enters the atmosphere hex as a result of displacement, it will leave such a hex on the next move. So it doesn't like planets. Um, but to here, here to me, here's kind of the gotcha with the space amoeba, and here's here it is. At the end of each turn, the player must determine how much information is gained about the monster, how much damage the monster has done to the ship or ships. This is determined using the chart G41, which is uh, I think it's a information um, chart. Making a separate die roll for each unit within the web sphere of effect. Now, I think we have probes may assist the obtaining information. The number from G41 multiplied by two is a number of damage points scored on the ship. So, you for the amount of, of information that you get about the monster, it causes you two points of two points of damage for each each one. Of uh, one, it's single point of information. Um, the facing shield is the one that was facing the monster at the, on the first impulse of the closest approach. Due to the special nature of the damage, shield reinforcement is ineffective, i.e., completely and utterly ignored. Big surprise. Um, now, okay, da -da -da -da. now, where is it? Okay, the reminder that at the end of, if you let it go all the way to, to turn 20, the monster divides into two, and all live points are lost. New points must be accumulated for each monster separately. One lab cannot accumulate points against two monsters on the same impulse. Each thereafter moves independently, and they will 
not enter the same hex if there's a legal alternative. So, now, the victory condition is, okay, the monster wins if the, you know, the ship is kind of destroyed. And the, the player wins if he accumulates 400 points of scientific information. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hear that, and then I hear you take two points of damage. That means you're taking 800 points of damage. I don't think you can. You can. Yes, what is it, you goofball? Um, I don't think you can win that way. Um, use this information just. What will uh, use this information to determine just what will destroy the damage and then destroy the monster. Um, once he has accumulated the required points, roll one die and consult the table S six one now. So after you accumulate the necessary scientific information, then you have to go and go to here. But the, I had to look up. See, that's the one thing that's the only thing about the electronic master start uh, master rulebook. It's just the rulebook. It doesn't have the scenario information, and this is part of it. The, the S section doesn't really exist as part of the, the electronic master rulebook, which is annoying to me. But anyway, okay, that's, here it is. If you roll one die, if you roll a die as a roll of one, monster can be destroyed by a suicide shuttle. Two, monster will be destroyed if held in a tractor beam. Three, monster can be destroyed by 200 points of damage from any weapons. Four, monster can be destroyed by a probe. Really? What is a goofball? Excuse me. You want to say hello to everybody? Say hello to everybody. Hello. Goodbye. Goodbye. Yes, the local zinni is awake. Um. Aww. Yes, he was. He was very cute for those who were looking at the the little. Thing at the upper right hand corner of the screen. Um, on that uh, two points of damage thing, uh huh. Is that per point of information you gather? That's my understanding. I'm, I'm, go, I'm gonna go back and read that again because of, of the, 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 the directly on a particular field or internals or what. I again, I let me look. Um, okay, that's you can't survive. No. Yeah, you can. If it's on a shield, you can just reinforce the bit. Right, assuming that... you're not going to do it all at once. But my understanding is that, that it ignores, ignores uh, shield reinforcement. Um, a roll of four, the monster can be destroyed by a probe. Five, insufficient data. You have to accumulate another 100 points. And six, um, communication established with the monster. It becomes friendly. And you're not required to destroy it. If you scored more than 50 points of damage against it, you lose a scenario. So that one's always a, that one is a, a, um, a gotcha in my mind. Okay, um, back to here. Okay, it's possible that that uh, Captain's Log has corrected this or an addendum. I have not checked. I have not looked for the addendum. I am sorry. I I should have, because here's what's here's exactly what it says. 
And then at the end of each turn, the player must determine how much information he's gained about the monster and how much damage the monster has done to his ship. This is determined by chart G41, 4.1, making a separate die roll for each unit within the monster sphere of effect. Uh, okay, it talks about the scientific shuttles and probes. May assist in obtaining information. The number from the G41 chart multiplied by two is the number of damage points scored on the ship. Actually, on the shield facing the monster. Now, let me do this. Da, 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 da. Let me look up um, G4.1. Scientific research. Yep, that's what I thought it was. So the chart shows shows the amount of range. You know, given the range, given the die roll, you then know how much information you've gathered. And you you like most most scientific uh, research, it it is done based on the closest approach of the ship. To the object. Now, uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. let's go back to here. Here it is. Yeah. And as I, the number, okay, the number on the on the chart, it says G four dot one, but it's actually G four dot one one uh, multiplied by two. So basically, the amount of information you gather multiplied by two as the number of damage points scored on the ship axis of face shield by the monster of the face shield. By due to the special nature of the damage, shield reinforcement is ineffective, i.e. ignored. <laughs> so it's like, um, I got to check on the addendum because I'm sorry, it, when you... It just sounds unnecessarily brutal. Yep. And a high, highly discouragement thing for people to play monster scenario. Oh, agreed. Uh, as it said, the picture condition. Yeah, I mean, the flip side of that is, is that if it, if you're going to gather the information, it, even if you're going to go in and do it in such a manner that your shield won't go down, you can run off and repair it. It take it take forever. It would take forever with a cruiser, even. Oh, agreed. You're talking about if, if you manage to take it on, you know, all your different shields, and you can hold it to twenty to twenty points of shield. That's still one hundred and twenty points, and you need four hundred. Right, right. Agreed. And I said the, the when the victory conditions themselves. play is true. You don't play this. Yeah. That, no, well, that's why I, I said I, I, I read through this, I looked at it, and it's like, the, really? Kitty, I love you, but is no. There a, um, is there a, um, you know, I think last week I was mentioning that um, some of the more recent Captain's Logs have uh, monster articles where they go into more detail about you know, X, Y, Z to do with like a monster's interactions and so on. I'm fairly sure that there's one for the Space Amoeba, but I can't remember which issue of Captain's Log it's in. But if you have that, there might be more information in terms of like, maybe whether there's any errata about how the 
the damage is scored relative to the lab points gained and whether there's like any other systems that you can use or something. Yep. That, uh, yeah, that, that's why I was like negated by what systems like do labs ignore it? Uh, there's got to be something to make that playable. Oh yeah, agreed. That that's why I said I that I have a funny feeling that there's addenda to this because I I agree that it may either we're understanding the the rule wrong, which I don't think we are, or there's there's an addenda which which talks about this because you know this this is insane because it is. Because especially when the victory conditions themselves states as such, which is the plane must accumulate 400 points of scientific information. And according to rule, da, 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 where is it? SM2.461, that for every single point of information you get from the information chart, you multiply it by two, and that's the amount of damage points that's done to the ship. And no ship can take 800 points of damage. So, um, there's something wrong here, you know? Or it could be our understanding of it. I mean, I don't have the rules yeah. anymore because of that. Uh, hey, guys, that. I'm going to have to fall asleep soon. I'm getting tired. Okay. Good night, Mary. Okay. Have a good All night, right. Mary. Good night. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. 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 It could be that um, it could be that for every so many points you get a roll on the thing, and that's different than the result you're getting. Mm-hmm. Like if it takes so many points out of four hundred gathered, and you roll on the thing, and that gives you a different result. That might not mean you have to get 800 points again. I don't know. I, I would have to have the rules in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I, I doubt that I'll be replacing my set in the near term. So. Oh, understood. Understood. Um, I think I would love to. I mean, I had the full binder set up. But that's beside the point. Yep. And just for a reminder for people, which is E6.0, that is the Monster Close-In Defense System, MSIDS. There's a reminder for folks that all monsters, well, at least most monsters, um, have MSIDS. And there's... Simple procedures or MSIDs. Number one, for for against drones, you roll if um, roll a die one and find the result, which is that um, roll one to four. The drone is intercepted and destroyed if, when MSIDs is active, and then or five to six, it misses and the drone has not been destroyed or damaged. Uh, for against shuttles, one to two, it's destroyed. Three to four, it's crippled. Five to six shuttles uh, totally undamaged. Now, limit there's limited targets 
um, M6s cannot be used against any target not specifically listed here. For example, it cannot fire at mines, ships, asteroids, or other monsters or planets. And against plasma torpedoes, MSIDS works quite effective. One and two reduce the warhead by 35 points. 33 to 4 reduced by 25, and 5 to 6 reduced by 10. The next up, the targets for MSIDS are as such. MSIDS ignores pseudoplasma torpedoes, so it knows that if it's real or not. Dummy sinking shells, it knows whether it's actually a danger or not. Slug drones, which is pointless. Um, seeking weapons not targeted on itself, i.e. that, you know, if it's targeted on another ship. The monster's sixth sense can extinguish them. The monster cannot, command, cannot commute this information to another player except by the act of not firing or not allowing itself to be hit. So, just a quick note there when it comes to Goofball. You want to come up here. Now he's trying to climb on top of my printer. Just so now, bah, 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 bah. now there is, but there is one thing which. Wait, Paul, could you do me a favor and um, could you go back to that thing you were talking about the um, the damage procedure, mm -hmm. uh, the damage amount that the um, sensitivity that does to the ship? Could you just read that out one more time, please? Okay. At the end of each turn, the player must determine how much information is gained about the monster and how much damage the monster has done to the ship. This is determined by using G41, the chart on G41, actually G411, making a separate die roll for each unit within the, the monster's sphere of effect. Scientific shuttles and probes may assist in obtaining information. The number from the chart in obtaining information um, uh, sorry, the number, sorry, let's try it again. The number from the chart multiplied by two is the number of damage points scored on the ship, actually on the facing shield by the monster. The facing shield is one that was the facing monster on the first impulse closest approach. Due to the special nature of the damage, shield reinforcement is ineffective, i.e. ignored. Now, um, it's a, there's a, a note here when it comes so to... So what is the sphere of uh, influence for the uh, space, space in the universe? How many hexes away? Uh, for this guy? Mm -hmm. My guess is that it's the same as the chart itself, which actually is pretty... That's pretty broad. And that is out to range 10. Well, I'm oh, sorry, out to range 9. 10 is zero, zeros all around. So, um, basically what you're saying is um, if a ship is approaching the space amoeba, it, if it's not an Andromedan, Assume the Andromedans can basically um, 
use its PA panels to, you know, park near the thing and basically try to gather lab information before it has to do a, uh, move off and do a panel dump. But for a, a galactic ship that has fixed spacings, what it would have to do is basically on turn whatever, turn one, or turn X plus one or whatever you want to call it, it has to basically face one of the six directions towards the amoeba so that the damage is done on that facing. Then on the next five turns, it has to basically make sure, because the, the creature only moves speed four, correct? Mm-hmm. And it has, so basically it has to both fire its probes in order to do, um, fill up the information. It has to uh, try to use its admin shuttle to, uh, as la uh, to gain lab information. And then also, uh, does the uh, does the um, does the scenario allow survey cruisers to use their special sensors to like help gain labs as well? Right. Yeah. So if it does, then you could basically spend those six turns um, doing like a three sixty um, in the vicinity of the creature, and on the seventh and eighth turn or whatever, you can run away. Uh, you're not arming your weapon, so you should have discretionary power to be able to get out of the weapons, out of the effect range of the creature. Uh, use that power to repair your shields, and then hope that the creature is not close enough to the the target or whatever. By then, because the creature doesn't, the the, the total remains running for the duration of the scenario. Correct. So it's not like if you don't add additional lab points within a certain number of turns does the count reset or like how generous is it in that way and again sorry like if you basically spend a couple of turns away from the creature mm -hmm. using your energy to rebuild your shield right um are you at risk of losing any of the lab points that you've gained to date no no or are they safely banked so that if you then spend another six turns doing another uh, 360 around the creature, then well, you've basically yeah, but, gained yeah. more yeah, points. Yeah. Because your, your ship has the ability to get to uh, choose the, the range of engagement and also to replenish itself, whereas the, the creature is losing out because it's got... Um, it can't really basically stop you from building up that lab unless you're not, you know, if you're, you, you stick close enough around for it to cause you that extra damage. So, right. um, yeah, basically, I mean, like, how big is the map? Like, is it on a closed map or an open map or a location map? It doesn't. That the encounter takes place in? Does not say what kind of map. Floating map. It actually does say that is the floating map. Is the question for that strategy? Is there a limitation? Does the scenario have a limitation? Yeah, the, see, that's the that's the big problem with it, which when it comes to repairs, which is at the end of turn number twenty, the monster divides into two, and it doesn't say this, but I would guess this might happen 
I'm not sure if, if you go all the way up to like the turn 40, if you have two monsters, do those two monsters now divide again? <laughs> Which well, be... That still means, though, that you've got 20 turns to gather lab information. So that's six turns to get the first round of info, two or three turns to withdraw and rebuild your shield, and then another six turns to go in. So that's six plus. Maybe if it takes a turn or two to... How far away from the Amoeba do you start the scenario? Um, around 15, I think. Could be, well, it could be anywhere between 15 to like 20, 25, because the, the Space Amoeba is placed in the middle of the map. And the Starship enters the map from any map edge. So you can be as close as like 15 hexes or as far away as I think like 20 or 25, I'd have to figure out exactly um, how what's the distance when it comes to the corners, to the middle of the map. I'm pretty sure... So that basically it, means that... I'm pretty sure it was like 20 or... You've got... So, how many turns would you need to regenerate your shields enough so that they survive the next... 20 points of damage per facing. But the thing as well is that, bear in mind that if you are pointing the ship at the creature, even if you're within like a certain range, like 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 hexes, it's only ever damaging one facing at a time, and it's only going speed 4. So you just have to have your ship going at slightly faster than that. And make sure that you're turning it so that the shield is a fresh shield facing. And technically speaking, because you're not arming weapons, um, at least not until you know whether or not the weapons will do anything, you can actually be beginning the process of repairing the damaged shield as you're using the other four five facings. Right. So if you do feel the need to disengage slightly from the creature, you're not starting from scratch. You're, you're basically, you've already done some of the homework. So it's just basically making sure that you're not uh, being careless enough to have the only the same facing pointing at the creature at the end of each turn. So that, and that, so that basically means that you're still, you've got like, maybe you're only losing one or two turns worth in terms of getting decent lab information. So that means you've still got about maybe you said it was 20 turns or 40 turns before it's the 20. But I was wondering if if you get the yeah, 40 turns, like... does it does the two amoebas now split into four? Yeah, so that's still about 16 to 18 turns where you're getting solid lab information. Um, and once and then that's that's also factoring in the amount of info that you might be getting from shuttle and probes and if you have special sensors, but if it lets you use the special sensors, then too. So um, that should add up. I mean, um, what is it about a? It's like ten points maximum. So that's like a hundred and eighty points that you'd be able to get if you're lucky. Probably more like a hundred and fifty, maybe. And so, um, how many points do you need to get before you can actually roll the dice to see whether you can, what you can do to it? You need to accumulate 400 points. 
of scientific information. Then you can, after you accumulate 400 points, then you consult the table at that point. And is the um, number of points that you gather, is it based on the number of lab boxes that your ship has? Or is it the sum total of information that you're getting? Because um, I could have sworn that um, uh, that chart your lab for G4.11, that it's it it your lab amount of information that you get, is it per lab box? And then, like, yes. like if your ship has eight lab boxes at the Federation CA, then you're getting more information than if you're like a. Yeah, no, the number is multiplied by the number of functioning lab boxes. Left. Yes. Right, and if you don't yeah, have so lab boxes. So yeah, basically that means that if you've got a, um, a Federation CA and you don't have the uh, reactor refit for the labs, that's anything between fifty to eight hundred. Uh, five times eight is forty. That's between 40 to 100. That's if you get a range zero, which is probably not smart. But that's going to be that's a significant amount of lab information that you're getting each turn. Right. Um, once you add it up, and if you're only taking, if you're only taking twice a single uh, die roll range worth of damage per turn, then uh, if you've got a ship that has no labs and you have to use your control uh, spaces lab, that sounds like a bad deal. But if you've got a Federation CA with full eight labs, it sounds like it might be up, uh, the, the calculus might be better, more closer in your more in your favor. So um, this does sound like it's a scenario that maybe uh, suits certain empires like the Federation more than maybe the Klingons, because I mean most of the Klingon ships tend to be very light on labs because right. um, they prefer to have like dedicated service ships with that function. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, maybe if you start playing the scenario of the Federation CA, and then because I guess I mean, if it was based on the on-screen episode, then that's probably what the the default was. Um, but um, that might be the best way to um, road test it on the client or in person is to um, bring a ship with a lot of lab boxes and see if. Um, that basically makes it easy to get stuff on it. Understood. Yeah, you definitely point out something which I missed, which is um, you get the number from the chart based on the die roll, but the actual number of information points that you gather is based on the roll on that chart multiplied by the number of, of lab boxes that you have. So you can you can definitely should be able to accumulate the number of information points that, you know without having causing you eight hundred points of, of damage. It should be somewhere yeah, like, somewhere around uh, anywhere from range three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you're at like range three and you roll a three, then you get five. So that's 10 points of damage in the facing shield. But that's also uh, 40 
lab points. Yeah, well, so you know, the forty. If you're on the Fed, it's it's um, sixteen. If you're on um, in a Klingon CA, oh sorry, Klingon D seven. So um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's. Uh, well, maybe actually, maybe a, a way to approach it would be. Um, does the uh, does the game does the scenario basically say you take? Uh, does it actually specifically say Federation heavy cruiser, or does it say take uh, a certain DPV point of ship? Player must select a gear for the scenario, as this will define the available ships, refits, fighters, weapons, etc. Why 172 is assumed if there's no alternate selection made, and also. Um, if you decide to play a smaller ship, there is a, a ship size adjustment chart, which basically you take um, the BPV divided by 125 and multiply that by 100 by 400. So it assumes the current scenario assumes that you have a ship worth a BPV of 125 points, which is around a Federation well, CA. So it scales the amount of uh, information points you need on the monster based on the BPV of the ship you're taking to try to deal with it. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Yeah, so what you could then do is um, if you're a Klingon, you could maybe take two frigates. Um, like you're basically having twice as many die rolls, and I mean, the shields won't be as strong, but it'll be more, um, it'll be more obvious, I suppose. So, because that's the thing as well, because the creature, it says that basically it does that point of damage against every unit within its range, is it? That's true. Okay, one thing, okay, just to let you know that I'm reading the tactics portion of the of the monster scenario, and it's it says here, your shuttles are provide can prove invaluable uh, cleaning ships the fuel labs could actually gather more information with shuttles as these shuttles take one point of damage per turn they can function for several turns before they need to repair them a better ship with plenty of labs could keep one suicide shuttle warm quote unquote warmed up in the bay to save time later the shuttles could operate four hexes from the monster outside of msid range that's one thing that I didn't notice, um, which was that the MSIDs had a range. Uh, but close enough to gather an, an average of 3.5 information per turn. So basically, it's suggesting that you launch as launch all your shuttles. Yeah, it says it has many MSIDs, it doesn't say. Oh. I want to say that MSIDs is like only two or three hexes. It's something like it's like a, a range of an anti drone or short range cannon or something like that. Mm -hmm. You have to get, well, as the name suggests, you have to get real close to the ship for it to be a problem. Okay. Whoops, I missed that. 
Okay, I missed that part. <laughs> Which is limitations. Firing the monster MCIDs cannot be can be used up to three times per impulse at any type, except on targets within three hexes. So, so the the unit has to be used within three hexes for it to to for the monster basically to become aware of it, or at least considered a threat. Um, it cannot fire at a single target more than once per impulse, and Epsids has an unlimited supply of am ammunition. Right. Uh, just a note, which is that if the monster enters the hex, Containing a shuttle or seeking weapon by reactive movement. The example here is actually Moray Eel. MSITs will fire on those units immediately before they strike the monster. It will do this in every hex it enters during reactive movement. It will not do this during normal movement. I.e., um, the whole idea is that if, if because of um, I, have, I, have not, I have not read on. I have not read you guys the Moray Eel. The Moray Eel is very reactive um, and very fast when it reacts. So um, it. So if you have, if you launch a drone at like the, let's say the Moray Eel, it has a chance to actually destroy that drone before it. You know, even though it's in the same hex. Oh, actually, here's a fun one. Because um, you know how um, I think last year I was suggesting that one day we could uh, pour through the Prime Directive source books because you know there's some interesting stuff that they have, like especially in the Federation ones, mm -hmm. where they talk about the um, the history of some of the various uh, founding species and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's actually a portion of the Andorian history where it talks about when they first developed uh, space travel. They actually ran into a creature that was kind of like a a non-tactical warp version of a Mori eel. And so they actually had to develop um, seeking weapons and, uh, you know, impulse drive to be able to actually uh, defeat these creatures. So it's like, um, um, not only did the Andorians have to deal with a whole bunch of scary monsters on their own home planet, they ended up basically running into monsters even when they got into space, before they actually made first contact with anyone else. Right. Huh. I have, have to check that out. And that's the Andorians? Did they hear you right? The Andorians, yeah. Andorians. Yeah, because the Andorians, because it's interesting that um, even in the SSB Module Y material, mm -hmm. the Andorians are the only uh, member species to use uh, in the Federation to use a type of drone. But their drones, um, they're a bit different to drones used by the Klingons representatives because um, Andorian drones, uh, they only have the hemispheric launch arc. Hmm. Understood. But basically the reason why they have those drones is because um, they evolved from the, the, the missile that they had developed to fight those monsters in their own system. Understood. Understood. Okay, well, it's getting late, and looks like we were able to get through the first monster, and, and 
obviously the one thing I want to introduce since we're going to be going through a lot of these monsters is of course the two basic systems, which is, you know, MSIDs and also the, um, uh, Essex that one chart, which is, I think critical, especially in, in lots of these scenarios where a lot of times you have to gather up information about the monster to defeat the monster. So, Oops, did not mean to have that. But anyway, so Gary, it's been lovely having you around. You have a good, you have a good week. Thank you. Um, uh, have a good night. Yeah, you too. Doug, always uh -huh. great to have you around. Obviously, if you want to, you can plug it. Yes, plug, plug, plug. Uh, Gamers is in a few weeks. We're officially less than a month out. Yep, that's true. Uh, 17, 18, 19. So if you got a schedule of stuff, send it to me, please. If you have like, if you know what you want to run. I understand. And, uh, yeah. I will get to that to you this week. This weekend, I'll, I'll get to PDFs and threads. Discussion groups on Facebook and whatnot. Yeah, mm. there you go. Okay. Okay, we'll do. Thank you. Okay, yeah, good night. Mm. So, got to be able to talk about the uh, space amoeba, which is definitely one of the more erratic monsters. It doesn't have a particular goal in mind. It's not like the um, Planet Crusher or the the Moray Eel, which we'll 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 talk about next week. We'll talk about the Moray Eel. Um, obviously, um, it's important to understand about about gathering information for the, for these monsters and. Also, remember remind reminder that the amount of information that you gather is actually based on the number of labs you had, and also um, you can get information using shuttles and things like that, which are and of course probes. It's always good to actually actually have a use for a probe because you have the you have those probe boxes and go. Why do we have this thing? I never use it in battle. Except for an emergency weapon, which I personally have only used once. I actually have used as, as a weapon once. It's really a poor weapon. But when you're in desperation, that's what you do. Um, so anyway, with that, I am Paul Franz, and I bid you a good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.